You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. We're talking with Dr. Isaac Towell on transitioning your practice for implant therapy. Dr. Towell is the current president of AIE, Advanced Implant Educators. AIE courses offer real-world execution of implant placement, alveolar ridge expansion, and crestal and lateral wall sinus graft augmentation. Dr. Towell lectures around the world and teaches live surgical seminars on advanced dental implant procedures using the latest technology. Dr. Towell, it's a pleasure to have you as a guest on Dental Talk. Thank you, Philip. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're talking about transitioning implant therapy into a practice. My first question is, why should a clinician choose dental implants over fixed or removable prosthetics? That's a great question. Uh, in today's world, we're faced with some challenging um, choices. Do we want to uh, go ahead and prepare some adjacent teeth when the patient comes in and they're missing a tooth? And do we want to cut down some healthy adjacent teeth? Or do we want to try to do place an implant that may not have the stress uh, that would cause from, let's say, making a three-unit fixed prosthesis. Mm-hmm. Um, my choice is always to try to have something fixed. Removable is always the last option, and that's usually something that would be more of a financial concern for the patient. But if we can, we'd always like to choose something more like a implant that ha- uh, which has a one-to-one ratio. When we shave down teeth, we never know what's going to happen with them. We don't know if they're going to end up needing endodontic treatment, We don't know if they're going to end up becoming very sensitive and having to do uh, more other uh, desensitizing procedures. Um, Often we have uh, caries that can develop under crowns because they are never really truly perfect. And that could always lead to future complications, future problems. From my experience in my practice, I've seen three-unit bridges that weren't well taken care of extend to four-unit, five-unit, six-unit. And it's kind of like a domino effect that just keeps going on until the patient may end up becoming a dentulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So an implant ratio where we can take out a tooth, maybe preserve something, and then come back and put an implant into it and not have to compromise any of the adjacent uh, dentition. Yeah, and that, uh, that approach makes a whole lot of sense. Again, the financial restrictions that a patient may have or the financial constraints is always an issue. So should, a, should general practitioners, GPs, consider placing dental implants? That's also a good question, considering that I'm a general practitioner. Um, and I'll just give you a brief background about myself. I, I had been practicing general dentistry for a few years. My father uh, is a general practitioner um, for many years, about 40 years now. And when I first graduated from dental school, I have to be honest with you, I wasn't as excited about dentistry as I should have been. And um, there became a point in time in my life where I said, okay, I'm either going to do this or do something else. And I found a few different things, like rotary endodontics, which kind of changed the way I looked at, at doing endodontics. And then I found surgery. And when I found surgery, I found that I really enjoyed it and that I had good hand skills that would be able to uh, be able to conquer some of these more challenging, more difficult techniques. So the question, should a general practitioner place dental implants, would obviously first be a question for the dentists themselves. Mm-hmm. Am I scared of blood? Am I scared to take out teeth? Am I afraid of of dealing with these types of more slightly more complicated situations. And you could say, say the same, same thing about endodontics or prosthodontics for that matter. Mm-hmm. But once we know that we are comfortable placing uh, implants or getting a feel for it, then the real question should be that, that uh, you know, if a general practitioner is placing it, are they the ones to be doing it? And my philosophy has always been that a general practitioner should be the one that does this single tooth implant. 
they're the one that's going to be seeing the patient most often. Mm -hmm. They have a great relationship with the patient. And they can then also try to keep the cost down a little bit because we often know that if we go to uh, the specialist, prices are tend typically end up being higher. So if there's more people placing implants, kind of drives down the cost of things. Right. The implant companies make more money, and so they can charge less to, for the product itself, mm-hmm. um, including the, the the final the restorative material. So it's it's a great thing if a general practitioner enjoys surgery for them to be able to control it. And and I think gender generally practice are who are performing the final restoration know where they want the crown to be. So we can kind of look at this from a crown down philosophy where we, where we look at where the final tooth should be, where we would want that final abutment to be, how we would want the emergence of that, of that out of the soft tissue, uh, avoiding certain food traps, because these are the things that the general dentist has to struggle with. Mm-hmm. When a periodontist or a surgeon goes ahead and places an implant, they're not necessarily going to see that patient again unless there's a problem. The person then has to worry about the problems like the food traps or some undercuts or or because of the implants, maybe malposition or lack of soft tissue. That's going to be the, the general dentist and general practitioner who would then have to go and refer them back for another technique. Right. So ideally, I, I always felt that if a general practitioner is capable, then they should certainly be the ones that were at least the single tooth implant. Right. Now, when a a dentist graduates dental school, that person is obviously not going to have the educational uh, experience to jump in and start doing implants. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are getting the training. But as far as the educational requirements that you think is necessary to do an implant properly, what kind of education are we looking at for a GP to start doing implants and what educational opportunities are out there? So what you said is absolutely correct. Uh, General general practitioners, or at least those graduates or DMD degree, not going on to specialize or taking any uh, specific uh, courses that were dedicated at at their at their dental institution, they do not really get the experience of placing implants. I've heard uh, here and there that the uh, students have placed a handful here and there over over the my travelings, which you know has been pretty extensive around the United States. So there may be some schools that are doing things that I'm not aware of, but for the most part. Most schools are not teaching uh, dental implant placement, mm-hmm. or if they are, you're assisting on the surgery and watching, which is always a great thing uh, because right. you get to learn a lot. But they are restoring dental implants because that has become a fundamental part of the general practice. Uh, so if someone wants to, even even in certain specialty programs, I've had people come and take our courses from some oral surgery programs because they really had a very limited knowledge of implant practice of implant therapy in their specialty programs. Mm-hmm. So it's not just in the the undergraduate dental schools, but as, as well in some of the postgrads. So let me ask you this: um, Let me ask this. The, why why should a GP place the implant? Why, why can't they just do the restorative part of it? What do you see as an advantage for the GP to get into actually doing the surgical part? That's that's the real crux of the of the question. So again, we're 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 the ones that are ending up to place the crown. Mm-hmm. So if we can place the crown in the right spot, then we can certainly place the implant in the right spot if we have the right tools behind us. Right. The affordability part to me is is the most important part, where a general practitioner would uh, would probably charge less than a specialist, and that would give a greater amount of availability to patients. Um, in, in some locations, there may be an oral surgeon or a periodontist that may be very remote and very difficult for someone to be able to get to. Mm-hmm. So they may they may end up needing to um, have someone a little bit closer to home. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That. That's a that's and an addition, excellent point. Mm-hmm. In addition, 
significant degree of difficulty doesn't necessarily have to be very high. Um, we can talk about guided surgery at some point, and guided surgery can make uh, placing an implant very easy, where you know you can teach someone who's not a dentist to do it. Not that they would have the <laughs> knowledge and experience behind dent of surgery and and the you know uh, what would be pathology and to observe things, but the mechanical portion you can teach someone to do. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's absolutely. As an endodontist, I'm an endodontist retired. It seems to me placing a single tooth implant would be easier than doing uh, a root canal. Am I wrong on that, or? Yeah, root canal. I, I have a hard time doing some DO composites on, uh, you know, a, a second molar. So I, <laughs> I, I, I'd rather do an implant any day of the week. Uh, certainly compared to doing an to doing a molar endo, right? Um, where it's, you can have difficulties trying to find multiple canals. I think uh, if you can handle something like that, or if you have the the passion for that, then you should be do, you should be able to be be accomplishing that in your own practice. Yeah. So it's, as it's far all, as the it's, uh, it's all about the confidence level, and you teach absolutely the courses that you teach. A lot of them, you actually do the treatment planning with the dentist that's taking the course, and you carry them right through. And they must are these mostly general dentists? You mentioned you you actually see oral surgeons as well. Yeah, we see we see a handful. I, it wouldn't be that many. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some specialists that come down to learn some different techniques. Uh, there's uh, some newer techniques that are out um, in the uh, implant world, such as uh, uh, partial extract therapy and osteodensification. And, and um, our course is, is one of those places where they can come down and, and actually do that with uh, some of the people who have written publications on these techniques, such as myself and Dr. Scott Gantz and um, other people in this course. I'm not trying to uh, promote the course. I don't, don't want to try to advertise here too much, but you know, it's a place where you can come and learn and you go through the basics. You want to find the course that is going to take you from the basic parts, the treatment planning, how, how to look at, at cone beam technology, which is some kind of a staple in implant dentistry, mm -hmm. um, how to uh, uh, place the, uh, the uh, final restoration in advance on this treatment planning software, and then go to the mouth and do the search. Mm -hmm. You mentioned cone beam. So what diagnostic tools are available to determine patient implant eligibility? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So cone beam dentistry is now pretty much everywhere and it's become very affordable, whether you're buying a, a you know, renewed refurbished machine or looking to buy something new or you're looking to have a, uh, a mobile van center or uh, some local um, uh, centers that open up that can offer this technology. And in my mind, there should never be an implant place without a cone beam that um, you just don't know what's underneath it. Just like you, you wouldn't build a house without a blueprint, it's the same thing. Here we're building and we're doing some construction, and we need to know what's underneath the ground. We need to have some type of a plan. Mm -hmm. The only way to truly have that plan is to be able to look inside the patient, inside the bone, and we can't do that unless we have um, you know, a, a cone beam technology. So that, that has become a staple for every single implant that I place. I, I will not place one without it. Mm -hmm. Even if I had taken out the tooth myself and done a bone graft, because you just don't know what's inside. Wow. It could be could be mush inside, and we've yeah. seen a lot of strange things like uh, air pockets in the mandible, which we we would never be able to identify on an X-ray, but you can clearly see in a in a cone beam uh, environment. And that that takes me back to some of the educational requirements. Is something that we need to learn is is to how to um, read these these um, units because if we're going to go ahead and get um, comfortable placing implants and you know, something bad happens to us. Maybe we're sitting in a courtroom one day or in front of a board. We need to just know that we did everything correctly. We need right. to know that we right. had this technology in front of us. We planned mm -hmm. it 
and maybe something happened that didn't go right. Things are allowed to go wrong. We're just human beings. But at the same point, if we didn't have the plan in place to begin with, then the the board might not side with with the uh, clinician on that one. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And it's really been a game changer, Cone Beam, right? I mean, as far as predictable clinical success, knowing what, what you're working with before you even go in there, I mean, that's got to be as uh, success. The success rate has to be as high as a, a root canal on, uh, or higher with, with single tooth implants. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, the, the strange thing about, about success rates with implants is they don't really define it as success, but more as survival. So it's always been a skewed number to me because you see these numbers, 98% and things like that, which in reality, nothing is 98%. You know, that if you buy a television, there's a, more of a likelihood that five out of, te- out of 100 TVs will not work properly, that there'll be something wrong with them mm-hmm. in, in their, with the, before their warranty expires. And I'm, so, I'm one of those people that always seem to buy those sets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that happens to me a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't know what it is, uh, but that's always part of my uh, purchasing uh, trend. Anyway. <laughs> So, so of course that that's a little rate. So is the TV still on the wall even though it's not working well and it has gray lines going across it? Sure. And there could be implants in the mouth that are surviving, but they're not really truly successful. Okay. So, getting getting to that point, the the implants. If they're if you have the right training and then the right hands, if you look at some of of the what we would say were quality implant physicians that were trained properly and are doing quality work then yes, you would be well over 90%, probably closer to 95% and up in terms of, of not just survival rate, but in terms of what we might consider success. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be downfalls you know, 20 years later, but that's like, you know, would be expected with anything over time. A body doesn't function well, even their own teeth uh, don't last right. long. Let me ask you this. Uh, we're going to wrap up this podcast, but one last question. What percentage of GPs do you think are doing the surgical part of implants at this time? It's closer to about 25% that are that are doing it. But if you look at the new graduates that are coming out of school, mm-hmm. it's going to be much higher. It's going to be about half. Um, I don't have the exact numbers here, but I was looking at it from the American Academy of Plant Dentistry, and they are showing that now there is actually more general dentists placing implants than there are in terms of, than specialists. Wow. So we've, wow. we've actually passed the right. amount. But obviously there's a greater number of general practitioners, so that ratio, that ratio percentage would be um, lower. And that includes the DSOs, the large group practices, the corporate entities that have uh, these. Dentists. Yeah, well, well, mm-hmm. they seem to be placing most of them. If you look at the, you know, DSOs like Clear Choice and Affordable Dentures and Implants, and they are placing a ton of implants and and them by the by the truckloads. Wow. Uh, sometimes wow. that could be a, a problem because they may not have the proper education, but uh, we seem to be getting more and more education towards those DSOs to try to give them some better not didactic and some more knowledge they don't end up in some of these pitfalls yeah actually this podcast will be on several uh dso portals that viva learning works with including including aspen and great expressions and smile brands and so forth um well it's been a pleasure to have you on dr towel we're going to be talking in future podcasts um about choosing an implant system and, and other topics so we look forward to having you on future podcasts thanks so much for being with us today thanks it was my pleasure